The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is our newscast for episode 234. This is for the week of April 4th. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Rob? Fantastic. It's a, I mean, gorgeous uh, spring yeah. uh, weather out here right now. I don't know, like low low 70s early, or late 60s, something like that, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's like actual spring, not like, I mean, I didn't mind it, but last weekend when we were in the 80s, that's, you know, a little a little too summery for the spring yeah. for me. Yeah, I just, but, I love, I love this right here. Um, yeah. So good weather, um, good week. We're, 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 we're moving, moving towards your birthday, moving towards yeah, tax get, day. It's all coming. close. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, it, you're giving out some PII on the uh, the the podcast here. Rob. I, didn't, I didn't mention when your birthday is okay. or your social yeah. security number, <laughs> um, but the last four numbers are. <laughs> uh, just give me the just give me the first three to, uh, to to validate that it's really you. Okay, and then and then later I'll validate with the middle uh, the middle two and then. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's great. Hey, let's talk about the uh, some housekeeping here. Yeah, let's do it. You know, Rob, we, we have a Slack channel. Um, and you know, it grows and grows. Uh, I think we're like over 2,200 now, something like that. Uh, we, I'm sure we can look at the actual number, but that'd be a lot of work. That would be a lot of work. Lots of great conversations in there. Um, I actually met some people from the Slack channel for lunch on Friday. Um, one of the great uses of the Slack channel to coordinate, uh, social activities now that we can all get back together. So that was fun. What did you eat? Uh, we went to uh, Grange Hall, which is a food hall, so you get multiple choices. By I, Troy Gard. The, by Troy the Gard. proprietor of Garden Grace. Yes. Um, I had a chicken mole plate. Oh. It was, it was good. Interesting. Yeah. I did, is there, there's a Mexican place in there now? I think it might be like Peruvian or oh. something like that. It's, I, I don't think it's Mexican, but it's, uh, That's it's new. South American. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so in addition to Slack, which is how you we got on that very long tangent, uh, we have a mailing list if you want to get the the show notes into your inbox directly. We would also love it if you would rate and subs- rate us uh, on your favorite pod uh, listening application and subscribe, so this thing drops into your inbox every week. We've actually had a lot of new listeners recently. I assume it's because uh, we're doing it less frequently, so they're less annoyed by us. And uh, the less we do, the more they listen. I think it's uh, based on the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Oh. They, you know, Russia's got a bunch of bots out there trying to figure out what they can exploit, and um, apparently they're they're listening to our stuff to to figure out where all the security weaknesses are. Oh man, I wish I was ready for this with a really clever <laughs> misdirection to give the Russians. Uh, yeah, make sure you attack us just off the. <laughs> Uh, the starboard bow. Yes, there you go. <laughs> uh, also, uh, we would love it if you told a friend about Colorado Equal Security, both the podcast and everything else that we have going on. Uh, and finally, if you want to help support the movement financially, we do have a Patreon campaign. Thanks to all of the current patrons that they that we have. Uh, you know, they really help us with the costs of all the stuff that we do. Um, you can find more information about that also on the website, colorado-security.com. And uh, several levels there. You get some cool stuff if you sign up. Shirts, shirts, shout outs. Yeah. All that kind of thing. Squeezes. Uh, like battle bears, beats uh, and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> That's where I was right there. I was trying to come up with my own version. Uh, good stuff. All right. We've got news. Hey, the first story. Um, this is an important thing. Are you thinking about buying or selling a home? Well, if you're thinking about selling your home, Zillow has looked through different regions and they will have specifically said, when is the best day of the year to sell the home in Denver? Yeah, and if you're thinking about that, you're already screwed because uh, it was in March. So but also early March, early early March, yeah. um, on a Wednesday, 
that I thought that was interesting. Wednesday is the best day to list your home. I guess that makes sense. You got a couple days before the weekend for people to figure it out, and then you can uh, have everyone come and look at it on, on the weekend. And but, if you're thinking it only makes a little bit of a difference anyway, oh no, no, oh no, no. Uh, it can mean a whopping thirty thousand dollars more for your for the seller. Yeah, um, I don't know what the number they were basing it off on, but you know they have a percentage I think in there too, so we could probably reverse engineer the math. But that I mean that that's a big difference um, behind. March, April is the second best month. So uh, you do still have some time to get almost the, the best time to list your house. Yeah, what it's saying is in, in March, it is a 4.7% premium over a typical home. In April, it's a 4.2% premium. So you're still doing okay if you get this news and go go post it now. Probably yeah. better than waiting a year to get back to March. Yes. Um, they also mentioned sometimes when you shouldn't. I think it was October that is the worst time. Yeah, October is the worst and you're selling at a 5.7% discount. $37,000 less. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow is right. <laughs> wow is right. And if you think to yourself, why is Colorado Equal Security talking about this? Because we want to. Right. That, that's what we do. Uh, all right. Moving on to the next story. Uh, this uh, th- this one is a, a bit of a, a vanity story, uh, pun intended. Uh, Colorado might soon allow digital license plates and... Uh, here's why people and companies want them. When I first read what? this headline, I'm like, this is stupid. Why would we even want digital license plates? What is a digital license plate, Alex? Um, so they mentioned it several times in the story. It's not for advertisements. Just so you know, you can't put any banner ads on your digital license plates. Um, not yet. Not yet. Um, but, you, but it's the way to set it up. So the they describe it sort of like, you know, an e-ink Kindle, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got something that um, digitally displays your license plate instead of being the stamped aluminum license plate. They do also mention if this goes through, you will still have to have one aluminum license plate, um, but the other one could be uh, the digital version. Uh, some of the reasons that they uh, they mentioned for this is more for the commercial side. Right. You know, if you're a, a fleet owner and you need to go through and, you know, update the registrations on tens or hundreds of vehicles, you know, instead of having somebody go through and, um, you know, put stickers on all of the new trucks whenever they can find them so that the registration is up to date, then, you know, it sort of automatically happens once you renew it because of the, the digital plates. Yeah. It, it is something, I mean, I totally agree with you when I, when I first saw it, like a digital license plate, what, why I, I can't imagine ever needing this thing. I, I'm not allowed to just change my license plate number anyway. Right. What's the benefit? Um, it's not for us, right? Right. It really, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of you know individual consumer use cases for this. Yeah, and they don't talk about it specifically, but they do talk about its use as a, as a vanity plate. Um, you know, hence my pun. But you know, custom license plates, and I don't know if that means like also you'll be able to change the theme of the license plate or something like that too. Um, which yeah, I mean that would make sense even if you can't do ads. Like you know, some people have like the the fishing license plates or the right. CSU license plate or whatever. I mean, know. and like maybe if. You know, if you're someone who is going to drop your car and put like what do they call those lights underneath it, you know that. Right. They, they, if you're going to yeah, do that, like, colored. maybe you have the ability to do something similar with your license plate while it still looks good. Like, maybe mm. no, that'd be nice too. Uh, the other thing that they mention is that there's absolutely no way that this could be a security risk. Oh, um, well, I won't even think about that. Then. Right, because um, the you know th- they're not allowed to GPS track you, and they use bank level encryption. Oh. You know, so everything's fine. What level of encryption does the bank use? Exactly. <laughs> I hate, honestly, I hate that term. I see it every once in a well, while. And it's, it's not like, as good as military grade encryption. That's, but but that's they, both, they both mean exactly the same thing. <laughs> Nothing. 256 bit. Yeah. Anyway. 
All right. Uh, hey, we have another story. Uh, this is uh, a LinkedIn article about the top 10 cities for job hunters. And uh, Alex, no surprise, Denver is one of those top 10 cities. Yeah, I believe Denver was number six, um, which it also held last year. So that great for Denver. Um, or for job seekers in Denver anyway. I don't, I don't know about for employers in Denver, but um, good for everyone that has uh, been, uh, been changing jobs through the, uh, the great resignation. Um, got a lot of opportunities. It's an opportunity magnet, says the article. Ooh, an opportunity wow. magnet. Um, also, they mention our nemesis Austin was number one on the list. Uh, I hate Austin. Yeah. What was really surprising, though, was uh, San Francisco and Seattle were in the top few um, but, you know, th there's been a lot of jobs leaving those areas. So it's really interesting to me that while the, a lot of people and jobs are leaving the Bay Area, that it's still very high on the list for, for job seekers. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my guess is that there are most of the companies are not leaving those areas and the companies would probably rather hire you in those areas. So I'm assuming that that's that's why. But who knows? I'm just a, lo a lot of the data from this comes from job postings saying, hey, where are they looking to hire? And if it's posted in the Bay Area, but they hire a person in a different city, right. it would have still shown as a Bay Area right. job. Yeah, or it could be, yeah, they, they listed as a Bay Area job, but also like sub list, you know, 27 other cities too. And uh, I don't know how that gets counted. Anyway, anyway the, you mentioned Austin was number one, Seattle's two, Raleigh, Durham, three, uh, Boston is four, and San Francisco five. Good stuff. Uh, all right, uh, moving on to our next article. There were 16 Colorado companies on Forbes America's Best Startup Employers list, and uh, several of them are companies that we are already familiar with. Yeah, we know and love some of these guys. Uh, uh, the highest Colorado company on the list is number 43, and it's SafeGraph, which I think we may have talked about before, but possible. It, but I don't remember what they yeah, do. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, it does say that they they track data across business listings, building footprints, and foot traffic for nearly four or excuse me seven million points of interest in the United States, tracking yeah. how often people visit different places. Yeah, and that I mean, yeah, that that means mostly nothing. But yeah. um, well, they track data, data tracking, whatever. Yeah. It's a Peter Thiel company. Uh, I think the uh, the cool thing is that number two, which was uh, at 48 was DeepWatch, which is a cybersecurity company that is technically not based anywhere. Right. But, well, I'm sure that they're, you know, they have legally a headquarters somewhere, probably Delaware. Uh, but, you know, they consider Denver one of their headquarters. Well, they, they say it's the de facto headquarters. Yeah. And if you remember, DeepWatch was one that we first were scratching our head, like, what is this company? They spun out from GuidePoint Security and they, they do, it's, it's MDR, right? Man managed Security Services. They're not the only MDR provider on this list, though, as you'll see as we go. Um, we don't need to go through all of them, I don't think. You know, a couple other interesting ones to call out. Uh, Boom Supersonic uh, is at number 132 on the list. And Jump Cloud is at 172, which Jump Cloud is just so interesting how, you know, they're, they're actually not all that new a company. Right. They've had a great ren renaissance the last right. few years. Yeah, they've been growing a lot. Um, you know, a couple uh, other security companies. Automax is on here, even though they misspelled the uh, the company and called Automax. it Automax. Which, isn't right. Automax also a company? Yeah, they like, probably sell cars. I think they're like a car, car yeah. parts store. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then many other companies we've talked about before: Strive Health, Amprobotics. Hey, Red Canary. You just gonna skip oh, right over Red oh, Canary? Oh, Red, Red oh Canary is on this list too. Oh wow. Red Canary is at two seventy seven, right next to Automax. Yeah, um, I think there's a couple that we hadn't heard of before: Grass Burger, which is based out of. Uh, Durango. But anyway, lots of cool companies on here and it's uh, it's great to see that we have some great employers in Colorado. And we'll we'll actually talk about some of those same companies again 
Uh, is it the next story where we get into the the no? Oh yeah, I think it is. I just next. I just, yep. Missed, yeah. So um, in the last podcast, we talked about the uh, Colorado no madness twenty twenty two, and so uh, you know this is the sort of bracket style uh, pairing of companies to try and see who it is that people think are the the best. Uh, companies in Colorado that they would want to invest in right. the most return. You basically ask which of these companies, in, you know, in a round, round by round, which of these companies do you want to invest in all the yep. way through? Number one seed at the beginning was Jump Cloud. Uh, number two was Guild Education. But we're all the way to the finals, Alex. We are. And this is, I mean, this has got to be a massive leap forward, a milestone for security in Colorado. Yeah, there are two security companies in the final. Two out of two. Two out of two. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's just awesome. So in case anyone's bad at finals, that means just two. <laughs> uh, the first company is Stackhawk. Caca! Uh, and the second is CyberGRX, which is also misspelled in the article once as CyberCRX. I don't I don't know that uh, CyberGRX has a, a sound that we can do here. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like there's something of a disadvantage for them. I, I, um, I th- what, what's the... Uh, we don't like our vendor sound. It's like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because they find risk. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, for some reason, cyber GRX makes me think of like a transformer sound, but it, yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you for doing that. So I didn't have to. Um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know how much longer voting is open, but uh, actually look, I do know because it's right in front of me. It's open till, till April 5th, till Tuesday. So if oh. you listen to this Sunday or Monday, go get your vote on. Let's uh, let's, Put your favorite security company into the championship. Yeah, um, I think that you probably should use uh, two of your email addresses and then just vote once for each of them. That's a great way to have no impact on the on the oh, election. I, I think we want to drive the votes up because oh. uh, you know the more votes that are there, the more important it makes uh, security companies in Colorado. So uh, those Russian bots who may be listening, <laughs> we've got a task for you guys. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, congratulate! Awesome. It's, it's awesome. It's it great, is great to see the security it's scene uh, doing so well. Uh, two great companies, Stackhawk and CyberGRX. Let's uh, let's see who ends up taking it home. We'll let you know in May. Awesome. Uh, next, we have a funding announcement. Uh, Total, uh, which we've had the CEO of Total on the, the show before, they have raised their Series A, which I guess was a little bit surprising to me because I figured that they'd already had a an official Series A raise, but. Um, they have done that with a $28 million Series A. Yeah, I think they they, they called it seed round right. before when they had their they had 3.6 million, which you know just numbers have gone up a lot. Yes. You know, 3.6 would have been a Series A right. you know, five, seven years ago. Um, a $28 million Series A, that's a serious investment. It that, is. That's that's pretty big. Yeah, good for them. Um, if you're if you're interested in going, uh, we, we talked to, to John Nealon on the show uh, early earlier last year. If you go look through the the episodes. Well, I'll, actually, I'll let you know in a little bit what episode it's in, but um, yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but uh, just so uh, folks uh, don't forget, Total, they are sort of a um, what's the a a, a platform provider for um, for security capabilities. So so you can go to them and use the Total platform and get multiple different uh, security capabilities uh, from them. So. It's awesome. Congratulations on their success. And we're looking forward to, you know, obviously raising is, is just the beginning of the work, right? But it's, it's, it's really important beginning and I'm, I'm glad to see it happen. All right. Well, Rob continues to look. I will move on to the next story. Actually, don't do it. I've got it. Uh, it's episode 189. Episode 189. If you want to right. go listen to the interview with John. Cool. Uh, next, we have a blog post from Red Canary talking about their annual threat detection report. Uh, Rob. What do, what do we have going on here? Yeah, this is 
it is really interesting stuff. So Red Canary has, you know, hundreds of customers with millions of endpoints and and take all of the detections, all of the bad things that we see over the course of the year. And at the end of the year, we look at trends. What what are the what are the trends of bad things that are occurring? Um, what what attack what OSs are attacked, what vulnerabilities are used, what are the precursors to successful attacks, all this stuff all packed in here to say, you know, to say this is these are the things you should be protecting in your environment. I, I think it's you know similar to the way that Verizon has done their data breach incident response re- reports for for years. You know, that's looking at successful incidents. This is looking earlier in the kill chain at at attacks that were detected. You know, so most of those attacks were stopped. Okay, so how do we make sure those things continue to be stopped? We don't, we don't have to turn into an incident to learn from it. Yeah. This year there's also an executive summary report. You know, you don't have to read the 80 pages. Thank of God. It's a lot of content and it gets very technical in nature. Um, I think it's, it's nice to, to skim the executive summary report. And then from that, go take a look at the larger report and see which ones you want to dive into. Awesome. Good stuff there. Rob, I can't believe that you did not include uh, the Red Canary article about uh, Red Canary's podcast this week. So uh, so, we- Red Can- so on April 1st, yeah, yeah. Red Canary released a, a brand new podcast and and I, to the highlight of it is people reading the the hashes out loud that you, that you should be banning. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, you should go listen to the, the Red Canary podcast. That's the only other one you should listen to besides Colorado Equal Security. But uh, it's good a one time podcast. It'll yeah. take you about nine minutes. And if you're if you're not laughing, I don't think you get it. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, there's an announcement. It's uh, this one's a little bit older, but still very relevant. Cloudflare, CrowdStrike, and Ping Identity. Um, made an announcement that they're going to be offering some of their services for free to uh, critical infrastructure. Yeah, this is neat that, to see, you know, three public large uh, security companies team up together and say, hey, we can cover some of the most important elements of your security for you, endpoint security, cloud security, and your identity. I mean, it doesn't get much more comprehensive that, you know, the, if you get to pick three things, those are a good three things to pick. And the fact that they're willing to offer together um, just to help those critical infrastructure areas is, is really cool to see. Yeah, and this came out of the announcement from, uh, was it the White House or CISA? One of them announced basically that, um, that their shields, it must have been CISA, their shields up um, announcement yeah. uh, to say, hey, you know, with all of the stuff that's going on in Russia and Ukraine, uh, you know, it, be even uh, be on even more alert. You know, stuff is going to be happening. Um, so, because of that, they gave some tips, and then here are some private companies that are sort of pitching in to help with that, to offer some services that can help you in those areas as well. That's awesome. All right, uh, next story. We have a a press release from the National Cybersecurity Center, which is down in Colorado Springs. Um, they have announced the launch of Project Pisces here in Colorado. Um, I had not heard of Project Pisces until I saw this, but it's a, a program that's already been successful in, was it Washington, D, Washington, Washington State, State, right? Yep. State of Washington, um, really around offering networks, outsource network security for very similar to the last story, right? For for public sector, municipal, you know, re, uh, special districts that just don't have the resources themselves right. to get to, to watch their own environment. Yeah, th- there are some limits on who can take advantage of it. It's aimed at the, you know, sort of really small um, you know, water utilities and special districts and other things like that that are not going to have those resources. Uh, and basically, they have uh, teamed up with Metro State University, and you know, Metro State is you know throwing some of their cybersecurity students at this. Um, they will be the ones that that do the monitoring in the Pisces system, you know, to get another set of eyes on things that are happening at these utilities because they probably don't have the resources to 
you know, hire a, a full MSSP to do this. So uh, I, I think it's great. It's a great program. Um, I actually, uh, they, they talk in here to uh, Robert McNamee, who's uh, the, the chair of the cybersecurity program at Metro State. I've been talking to him about this and actually hoping to get him on the podcast here pretty soon to do an interview. So maybe we'll hear more about that. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, free or low cost. So I'm, I'm guessing it's there's a pay what you can pay type of a model. Yeah, probably. Or if, you're, if it's really, really tiny, it's probably free. And then, you know, as you get bigger, it prices scale. Yeah, I'd be my guess. Anyway, cool stuff. And we've talked about, you know, what exactly does NCC do? And we're learning along the way. This is a good example. of This a, is something they do. This is, this is a new thing that they're doing. And it's a pretty cool impact. Awesome. Uh, last story that we have. Uh, this came out just before our, or just as our last uh, episode was coming out, and so we saved it for this one. Uh, this is a, a blog post, I think, it was this in Forbes? It was, um, yeah, Forbes.com. Um, which is, I mean, hey, that's pretty cool, by uh, Mary Ritz, friend of the podcast, uh, f- former guest interviewer on the show, a uh, friend of mine, and she's talking about uh, her lessons learned as a woman in cybersecurity. Yeah, so this was you know, timed around the... Was it National Women's Day? Is that right? I th- yeah, I believe I think so. It was timed around National yep. Women's Day, and you know, I, I know that I saw quite a few. We had a couple of different stories we could have picked uh, to talk about that this this month, but this is a good one because it's autobiographical. You know, her experience coming up very early in the security community. You know, going to conferences. You know, where there, she was often the only woman there, and what's that dynamic look like, and how has that changed, and how is it still the same for folks coming up behind? She does a good job giving some. I'd say relatively practical, practical, actionable advice for, for folks coming up behind her, you know, around building a network, you know, be true to yourself. Don't feel like you have to conform just because, you know, you're in the minority. Um, I, I love this one, you know, take up space right. and, and like not, you know, don't be afraid to, to be a presence in these places and, and find mentors who will help you and make you be successful doing that. Um, and, and then moving forward and finding, a, you know, a, the path to better presentation where she's talking about bringing up other people behind you. And, yep. you know, there's this, this whole cycle of life for, for making this thrive over time. I loved it. Yeah. And, and as part of this, Mary is saying that she tries to give back in that sort of a, in that last section and, and be a mentor to people. So, uh, you know, I don't want to talk for Mary and she'll probably get overwhelmed. But, you know, if you want a mentor, Mary is an awesome person. So um, I, she is obviously willing. So you could probably reach out to her if you're uh, someone who is needing a mentor. Good stuff. And Mary, thank you for writing that up. Yeah, good stuff. All right, that is it for news. Let's jump over to our events. We want to remind you that we do have a calendar of events um, that you go out to the website and you can see what's coming. Basically, I think through June or July right now, we're, we're, we got quite a bit of stuff coming. First, uh, on the 14th of April, ASIS is doing their Women in Security Coffee Chat. Um, same day, there is a Women in Cybersecurity Fireside Chat in Colorado Springs. If you want to do ASIS's Women in Security Chat in Denver in the morning, drive down to the Springs for the afternoon. You're going to have a, a fantastic Women in Security Day. I think that's great. Uh, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their April meeting on April 19th. On the 21st, Denver ISACA is doing their April meeting, which is actually their general annual their annual general meeting as well. On the 22nd, the Let's Talk Software Security Group uh, is going to be doing securing open source software. Same day, DC303 has their April meeting. They're they're getting together in the evening there. That's a good time to hang out and do some hacking. On the 23rd, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their April mini seminar. On the 26th, the Cloud Security Alliance is doing their April meeting. On the 27th, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their April meeting. 
All right, let's jump over into jobs. Um, there's a few great jobs at Red Canary right now. If you want to come work with me over there, you know, I know that we have some IT, we've got some um, some other stuff coming. Um, this one specifically right now, we're hiring a GRC analyst, someone to help us drive forward our compliance and risk management programs. Speaking of jobs, Rob, I got a new job. You got a new job? I did, and uh, we're, we're going to be building out the team. I don't have any jobs to talk about yet, but I would imagine I'm going to have some to talk about here in the not-too-distant future. What kind of people would you like to send you a Slack about this? Uh, I don't know enough yet, but if you're a, a cloud security person, I would I would bet that that is a skill that I will need. Awesome. Uh, speaking of other jobs, uh, yeah. Clover is hiring a manager of security engineering right now. Yeah, and I, I think it was uh, Rishi Malik that posted this one, so I w would imagine you would be reporting to Rishi or working with Rishi. He sent him a note in Slack to ask questions. Yep. Uh, ULA is looking for an in information security architect five. I'm not even kidding. That sounds like a really hard job. I don't <laughs> Right. Like, I know being a security architect like is hard, Right. and now you're like the fifth one up the chain. For a rocket company. Like, this has got to be, like, a really hard job. Uh, you would have to have some skills to be at level five. All right. Track Via is hiring an information security GRC analyst. Uh, Innovate, uh, I think that's supposed to be Innovage, uh, is looking for an information security compliance analyst. The city of Littleton is hiring a cybersecurity analyst. Sumo Logic is looking for a security compliance manager. The Colorado Judicial Branch is hiring an information security manager. Uh, this is both the longest and I think probably the most interesting uh, job that we posted this week. NERC is looking for an energy threat and analysis center, which is called the ETAC, uh, security advisor. So I think you are advising that council on energy threats. That sounds like a really cool job. That sounds like a cool job too. Yep. Uh, last one here, we have an intern job. Echo Star is hiring a cybersecurity intern. Yeah, go, awesome. go work with Paul K. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I think that that is the news for this week. But we do have an interview. Oh, and it's not for this week. It's for this month. You're right. Yeah, this <laughs> week, it's, it's for both. Yeah. You, you can be forgiven. Uh, we do have an interview. We, we have uh, Luke McComey uh, sat down and talked with, with uh, Frank, um, Frank Victory. Um, so thank you to Frank and Luke both for doing this. I'm looking forward to hearing all the insights uh, from the interview. Yeah, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it too. All right, Alex and everyone, have a great week. We'll talk to you again next month. Thanks, Rob. This is Jay Wilson, CISO of HealthGrades. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Well, hello, Colorado Equal Security. Welcome to this special podcast. My name is Frank. and I'm a guest host for this podcast here. Uh, my guest today is Luke Montgomery, and he is an icon in the security industry. You may know him from the founder of DEF CON Sky Talks. He's an extrovert passionately supports the information security community. He's a featured speaker at various conferences, a published author, and an industry liaison for many businesses and organizations. He's proven himself to be highly effective at creating security programs. Luke has been involved with cybersecurity, since it was a thing, way back in 1994. He founded his first company before graduating from high school and has worked as a trusted advisor, security leader, and mentor. He has founded and contributed to several industry-leading careers, including startups, Fortune 100 enterprises, and federal agencies. He's also the Vice President of Offensive Security at Blue Bastion and a dear friend of mine. Welcome, Luke. Luke, how are you today? I'm doing great, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So, Luke, uh, before we get started here, I want to start with an icebreaker here. I, since I do know you a bit, I want to talk to you, and the first thing I want to ask you is, 
what is the, I know that you have a huge thing for books. You love books. And we're going to talk about this here in a second. But what is the worst or maybe even the best book to movie adaptation that you've ever seen or book to TV adaptation that you've ever seen? <laughs> oh, man. That... And you only get to choose one, by the way. You know, I'm going to go with this just because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Um, okay. I absolutely loved Madeline Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time when I was a little kid. And when Disney came out and released the more modern version of it, I really thought that they uh, that they kind of chopped up and were were mean to the story. So I'll I'll go with a wrinkle in time. A wrinkle in time. <laughs> okay. Well, my personal one I don't like is Ready Player One, and uh, just because they oh, changed yeah. the story so so horribly. I'm a huge fan of that book and audio book, and I've read it several times, but. Wow. So a wrinkle in time for you, a ready player one for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, now that you said that, the first thing that came to mind of how frustrated I was about how they changed the story would have been Starship Troopers, actually. So. Oh, really? One there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, what did you not like about it, I guess? Uh, well, one, uh, my ex-wife and two of my ex-girlfriends were casted uh, actors in the movie. So I was super excited when it came to shoot. Uh, I, I loved Robert Heinlein's books and I, I thought his stuff was awesome when I was younger. Uh, they actually filmed Starship Troopers out in Wyoming, where I'm from. And uh, when, when the movie came out, it was just horribly disappointing because it was just huge sections of it and huge points and main purposes of the story had been modified to, to make it more... Um, I guess, agreeable for film. Hmm. Okay. So they changed it. I mean, I, if I remember the movie correctly, there wasn't much of a story. It was just a lot of shooting and a lot of, a lot of violence. <laughs> yeah, pretty on point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we started, though, talking about books, and I know that you have a huge love for books. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, it's, it's interesting. I grew up, like I said, in, in Lander, Wyoming, and I was always a bit of a book nerd. I always hung out in the libraries. Um, it's part of the thing that originally got me access to computers was, you know, our, our public library and our school libraries were, were some of the first places where we had computer systems that were available for public use, uh, you know, way before they were really in people's homes. So that, that brought me there. But my mom and dad, um, you know, where I grew up, they lived just a couple blocks away from our public library. Uh, and it was a Carnegie library. And they just, they had everything. I, I, I used to go there and just spend hours um, endlessly browsing different types of books and, and different information. And it's funny because I, I have a love, um, probably more for nonfiction than I do uh, fiction books. I've, I've read a lot of fiction. Um, there are a lot of artists or authors that I really enjoy. Um, but I find myself really getting lost in reference manuals and guides and, and history. So. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You like, you, you, you like to read the reference manuals. That's oh, yeah. what do you find fascinating? I mean, like most people would not sit there and say that they'd like to read manuals on their spare time. <laughs> For, for me, it was always an ability to learn something um, in, in a very, you know, I, I guess I liked the, the procedure and the structure of how they would write that stuff. You know, people used to make the jokes that, you know, it was like reading stereo instructions, right, or, or whatever that old adage is. But I, I, 
I really liked that. I, I liked knowing what each button did or what each little knob did or, or something else. So I, I would study that stuff. I, I remember really specifically getting in, lost in, in books about electromagnetism and motors and radio. I had this uh, a bit of a mentor when I was growing up. His name was Chief. And uh, he'd been in the, the Marine, or I'm sorry, in the Navy, uh, and had spent uh, his time there. And he ran a small gas engine and machine shop um, where he repaired people's electrical motors and, and engines and other types of things like that. And he was just wicked sharp at it. But I remember uh, when I was young, really young, he gave me a copy of one of these uh, military manuals that really talked about how electromagnetism worked and how you could create a motor. And I just got lost in it. It was, it was just amazing. Okay. So, well, I guess the magnetism is great and the technology is great, but tell us about this mentor that you had. Um, chief? Yeah, about chief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, you know, he was pretty cool. He, he, he had this little shop and it was right, um, you know, about a block from my house. So I would go hang out there after school at a candy machine, other stuff like that when I was little, but, uh, Really, I think one of the biggest things that I, I, I'd want to always sneak in back was that he had uh, Playboy calendars hanging up on his wall. <laughs> I, remember, I remember as a little kid just being like blown away by this, you know, by, by this guy that had these calendars hanging up. And, you know, the more I got to know him and talk to him, the, the more he was, you know, somewhat of a like a big brother mentor, you know, something like that. It'd be the right way to put it. But he he always was a good man and someone who I saw that both my mother and my uh, father respected and liked. So it was someone that, uh, you know, I, I spent time around trying to kind of learn from and, and pick up some of the traits and, and just abilities and, and things that he had. Like I said, I, I used to think his work was just magic. He would take things that people had busted and he would put an hour or two of work into it and work like new or better than new. Do you think it's important though for, people young to have a mentor, you know, someone besides their parents? Oh yeah, of course. I, I was blessed with the town that I came from. Um, you know, my, my town, very small town in the middle of Wyoming on the reservation. And uh, I would walk to school, walk to and from school every day. And there were all these little spots along the way that I'd stop at. Another one of my mentors when I was growing up was a guy named uh, Tony Spriggs and he had Spriggs Sheet Metal and Construction. And uh, I, I would go in and hang out. And after getting to know the guys who worked for Tony, um, they started teaching me things, right? So like as a grade schooler, I was able to, uh, I knew how to fold boxes and, and do basic duct work for like sheet metal. Uh, I knew how to spot weld. Um, I'd learned how to cut metal to where, you know, you wouldn't get these sharp edges and how to take an edge down on a grinder. And, you know, it again, growing up in a super small town in Wyoming, early eighties, that kind of a thing. Uh, you don't mind that your kid's going to make a ninja stars in a local sheet metal shop. Right? <laughs> my parents, my parents were always just happy that I was hanging out somewhere and that they knew that, you know, I was, I was, uh, being decent or, or somewhat good. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to kind of key in a little bit on what you just said here uh, about growing up on a reservation. Yeah, Wind River Reservation, uh, amazing place. Um, center of Wyoming, huge reservation. Uh, Wind River is 
run by the Joint Tribal Council of the Shoshone and the Arapaho tribes, um, both amazing tribes and just exceptional people. Um, so yeah, where, where Lander is uh, my hometown, it's kind of this little island in the middle of the reservation. And uh, where, where we grew up was where Chief Washakie uh, had really set up base and, and where these tribes were at. Uh, with one of the tribes and then the other tribe was moved there uh, and became more populous uh, when the reservations were established. But uh, yeah, it's all along the Oregon Trail through running right through the center of Wyoming. So what do you think would be the best thing that has shaped your personality growing up there? Oh man, there, there's no single individual that I could call out. I mean, my, my family are, are, you know, they all each individually played a key part in who and what I am today. Uh, but I mean, I, I would say that Lander as a town really um, had a large contribution to that, right? They say it takes a village. Well, in my, in my hometown, everybody knows everybody. So it really does take a village. There were countless people that I can tell you from, from bowling alleys to, you know, shop owners, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I, the one and first and really only time that I shoplifted in my life, I was a little kid and I got busted by the guy that owned our local hardware store. I was trying to steal a fuse, like really, really nothing important, just a, a fuse for like something electrical that I was creating. I can't even remember what it was now. I just didn't have the money for the fuse and I, I wanted it. So I pocketed it, totally got busted. And I remember, you know, the, the guy that ran the hardware store, he called up my father and my father came down and he was incredibly disappointed and frustrated in me, kind of a deal. And I, uh, I ended up having to uh, sweep floors for this hardware store uh, for a couple of weeks, I think, it, very long time ago. I was quite little, but I remember it being this thing of, you know, learning from it where it wasn't the fact that I had, I had stole this fuse or stole this fuse that was an issue. It was the fact that, you know, I had done something that had dishonored my family name, had dishonored, you know, myself and, and the way that people perceived me. And I think that when you grow up in a small environment like that, you know, you're held to account uh, in the way that you behave and the way that you treat others. And I think that that Wyoming way is, is really something that shaped and, and kind of helped develop who I am today. Well, I think what you said was very important, especially with the learning and, and almost basically a sense of honor, because I'm sure that a lot of our listeners out here are parents. And at one point, probably a lot of them would have to sit there and deal with things like this, where their kids are shoplifting or committing other type of crime that may not be very serious, but gives you you know, I think that what you just said will give them some insight as to maybe how to deal with it. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Right. So the other thing I know, uh, and I want to kind of, ex uh, I don't know if this is really an exposure here, but uh, you are named Pyro, or some people know you as Pyro here. And uh, do you want to kind of explain that? Yeah, more, more people probably know me as Pyro than, than as Luke, uh, interestingly enough. Um, I, I came from a, fire, a family of pyros, uh, Lander, Wyoming, again, going back to what we've been talking about is a place where on the 4th of July, from dawn till dusk, well, from dawn till dawn, almost, it runs for pretty much straight 24 hours. Uh, this one square mile, little tiny town in Wyoming gets lit up like nothing else. Uh, there are countless families that, that come in 
and we all compete to, to really try to have the biggest, baddest, you know, loudest, strongest fireworks show. And I grew up really being influenced by my uncles and my father, uh, who, you know, all had worked in mines and were all pretty quick hands at being able to create some pretty wicked fireworks. Uh, where I'm from is also the home of Flying Phoenix Fireworks, which is one of the largest fireworks importers in the United States. I think maybe possibly largest to the West Mississippi. Uh, and it gave me an opportunity. I started working at the, the fireworks stand. Um, I think I was 12, maybe. I remember I had to have a parent's signature uh, to have permission to work that young. Um, but I started selling fireworks and I was really into the chemistry of fireworks. And uh, 12 years old, I, I guess I was 12, I had made uh, some electrically triggered mines in my backyard. And uh, when one of them went off uh, the way it wasn't supposed to go off, you know, uh, it clicked off and blew up in my hand, burned my thumb really bad, uh, third degree burns, ended up in the hospital. Um, it was just really messed up from it. And my mom came in and, and was checking on me and she goes, you know, how's my little pyro? And, and the name stuck. Uh, interestingly enough, my parents being smart people and, and, and really good parents, they knew that they weren't going to be able to keep me from doing this stuff or looking into this stuff. So they kind of insisted that I got an education and that I did it right. Um, so I joined the Pyrotechnics Guild International, uh, which is a uh, guild of pyrotechnicians. And I started studying all kinds of guides and books. I think really the, the first book that was hugely influential in me was George, Wing, George Wingart's Pyrotechnics. Um, and then probably second only by uh, The Chemistry of Powder and Explosives. Um, both those books really helped me kind of learn the right way to do this stuff safely and, and really with a focus towards doing it for beauty, right? The art of things. I've, I've never been into explosives as something that is destructive. Uh, it's never been what has been attractive to me. In fact, one of the, the big things I've done, anybody that's ever watched fireworks or, or a show that I've ever put on, I'm, I'm really big about creating really loud, really bright type uh, effects without it having any form of shrapnel, really. Um, so it's, they're, they're, they're loud and they're impressive and they're bright, but there's nothing that could hurt anyone, really. Wow. So how old were you? I mean, you were 12 when you started working there. How old yeah. were you when you joined the guild? Uh, I think 14. 14. Uh, I was I was working at the fireworks uh, stand and these this couple showed up, uh, Pam and Chip Atkinson. Uh, and at the time, I believe that they were guild board members, uh, like secretary or treasurer or something like that to the guild. And they showed up and they were kind of poking around there from Colorado. And they're like, hey, we heard Wyoming has really great fireworks. And I'm like, well, you know, all this stuff's class C, meaning consumer grade. Uh, you know, it's not really that cool. Come check at this, you know, come look at this thing I, I put together. And I, I walked out behind the fireworks stand. And I lit off this little cannon salute that I'd built. Things about the size of your thumb. And I lit it and threw it down in this ditch and it detonated and just rattled, you know, the car windows and put a, a you know, huge burst of water probably 100 feet up in the air kind of a deal and i remember looking at chip's face and chip was like dude no you can't make this stuff it's, <laughs> it's really illegal 
really dangerous. He can't be doing this. This is not okay. Like any, and he kind of took me under his wing. You know, he's like, there, there's so much, he goes, stuff that goes boom is like the simplest, most basic childish stuff. He goes, if you really want to get into some of this hardcore stuff with pyrotechnics, you know, learning how to create uh, different effects and timing and, and different, you know, being able to judge the, the height of how large or how hard, high a shell goes before it detonates, because that's where this stuff gets really challenging and, and, is, and is kind of pushing me in that artistic route was really what, what got me interested. And he handed me a copy of something called, uh, it, it's the PGI Bulletin. It comes out quarterly. And, he, and it's this little, almost like a zine uh, for pyrotechnics people. And he handed it to me and I read it. And in the back, it was, you know, if you'd like to become a PGI member, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope and this amount of money to this address. And, you know, we'll start sending you the quarterly and a membership card and a patch and all this other stuff. And I joined and it, it was great because it created, you know, these are pre-internet days. You didn't have a way to be able to reach out to people and find people on the internet. Um, but it gave me a way to be able to find other people who were involved and interested in pyrotechnics. Uh, as I grew older, I started working on professional teams and have been lucky enough to, to share the stage with, with some really amazing talents in the pyrotechnic industry. Uh, I've been able to work directly underneath them for, for several shows and shoots and just have a lot of love and respect for it. So I've always said that when I'm done doing the computer and the hacker thing, it's, it's what I'm going to retire to do is just run a, a fireworks company that does displays and shows. That is, sounds awesome. But I, it sounds like that's a good thing that uh, Pam and Chip got involved with you and in trying to change your direction from being destructive to being more beauty, that they, they kind of guided you to something different to put your creative energy in. Yeah. yeah having a good mentor is, yep. is everything. It can be life-changing. Perfect. Perfect. Well, the other association I know you're, you're associated with, I guess, <laughs> is the uh, DC 303 group. Ah, well, actually, not really. No? Okay. And here's what I mean by that. DC-303 is something run by Mantis uh, and, and all of the other people who contribute and volunteer for that. Mantis is a good friend. I love Kyle. He's great. Uh, mm -hmm. Props to him and everything that, that the folks with DenHack and uh, the other organizations have really done to, to create DC-303. DC groups are, are a DEFCON group, and DEFCON groups were originally started by Russ Rogers, a 303er, and a good friend and fellow goon, a uh, long time ago. And it made it to where, you know, once a year, a lot of these different zip codes and area codes and other places out there would only ever see each other at DEFCON, right? The rest of the time it was online or over BBSs, depending upon how long ago it was. And the, the DC groups made it to where people had this kind of focal point where they could come together and share and learn and, you know, be able to educate and train. And it's just great. So DC groups in Denver has really been a focus around, you know, helping people come into information security and, and being able to pick up new skill and new talent. Uh, doesn't matter if you're super experienced or if you're brand new and you've never done it in your day in your life. Um, that organization is there to help people grow and mature. And there are a lot of people who are in DC 303 that also belong to another organization called the 303. And 303 being the area code of Denver, which is why DC 303 was also named 
DC 303. 303 is one of the oldest, longest, strongest hacking organizations uh, around. Um, there are no websites. There, there is no collective uh, <laughs> leadership. Um, it is a, I, I guess, a fraternity or a sorority would be the right way to kind of look at it. But, but no one is, there is no rank, right? There is no one above another. And it, it comes from a, a group of many organizations that over time has kind of come to know each other, trust each other, and become what is now known collectively as 303. Uh, some of this stuff goes way back, right? Where you're talking Root Cellar, uh, the original um, hacking organization that I had before my first company, uh, TAC, TNO attrition, uh, those guys that were doing all the AOL hacking, right? Like the, the, these types of groups back in the day were, were small and very protected. Uh, I remember when I first saw the hack back, right? Uh, FAQ, the, the very first time that came out, I, I was just blown away at all the information and detail that was in this thing. And it was written by, you know, Voyager and all these other people that were, were down in the 303, and when I first came down to Colorado, uh, I guess it would have been uh, 1999, 2000-ish uh, was when I actually first started hanging out with 303. Uh, I got invited to a going away party of another member from Blue Knight. Blue Knight brought me to this party and it was, it's just kind of been history ever since. But when, when those groups and when those teams and everybody all started hanging out together and we were all in the same crowd, uh, 303 became more of the collective name that we kind of went by, right? Versus it being broken out into these smaller organizations that were there. And what was once, we always joke, uh, you know, it's, it's not that we're a bunch of hackers. Uh, it's that we're a bunch of drunks who have a <laughs> hack problem, right? We, back in the day, the joke was that we all had, uh, we all like to drink together and we just all ha also happen to like computer security or be involved in different assets or, different aspects, sorry, of the, of the industry. Um, but as time grew on, you know, what was kids once breaking into to Bell vehicles and into telephone company, uh, truck yards and stuff like that became people that are now CSOs and leaders of uh, at national laboratories and other types of amazing things. So it it's neat to watch how things grow and mature over time. Well, I know that that's where I know you from originally was the 303 group. Uh, definitely, I, I think I believe that was a motto at one point was we're, we like, we're a drinking group that likes computer security. Uh, before we move on to the next question, though, uh, I do want to also uh, enforce what you said with giving Mantis some mad props for running that DC 303 group. I do help him out. I try to help him out a little bit with his den hack and everything else. Great guy. Uh, I do have a next question, though, for you. What was it like? Here's something that I don't think a lot of people have done is created their own security company at the age of what, 16? Yes. Yeah. So, so what prompted <laughs> that? I mean, most 16 year olds are getting in trouble or learning how to drive or shoplifting, right? Uh, you're yeah. out there creating a company. So tell us about that. Um, big fish, small pond syndrome, I guess is how it kind of came about. Um, you know, being in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, there were very, very few people. Again, this is, you know, really at the birth of the internet. 
And there are very few people who were into technology or computers like that where I was from. Uh, there are a couple, uh, some of my life influencers, but it just, just not many. And when I, I was 12 years old, uh, I had stumbled and gotten into some trouble with uh, computers um, with my local school district. Uh, then again, at 14, with an organization um, that I was doing some hacking with, I ended up doing uh, some, you know, uh, community service type work. It was a summer work program to help people learn how to how, how to interview and how to write a resume and how to do all this stuff. But we would do an hour of that and then eight hours of hard manual labor, right? Painting playground equipment with uh, waste oil or or you know, whatever the stain is to keep it in place, felt like waste oil, uh, painting snowmobile markers for Yellowstone National Park, uh, digging ditches for Hudson, Wyoming, right, so that their irrigation would work. Uh, an amazing program run by a guy named Dennis Oman, who ended up being the principal of my grade school. But those, those types of situations really led to me wanting to find others who were similar in mind and similar in aptitude and interest. So I, I created something called uh, RCST and it was Root Seller Security Team, uh, but it, it wasn't known as that for many, many, many years, right? When we, when we first created it in 1994, it was hack, hackers against corporate culture. And it, a lot of people, it, it will, it'll raise their ears, but we had this symbol where it was an H in a circle, right? Instead of an anarchy symbol, it was like a hacker symbol. And when, with the way that we drew it out, it made it to where you were able, if you knew how to look at it, to see the letters H-A-C-C inside of the image. And I spun up a BBS, uh, Searchlight BBS at the time, and did all these crazy, crazy amounts of hours programming it and creating RIP graphics so that it would actually have like animation um, in this BBS. It was so cool. And all these kids down in uh, Colorado, a couple in Utah, um, all, of, all of my friends in Wyoming, they started dialing into this BBS and uploading uh, different documents and information and talking on you know, the, the message board that we had there and playing text-based video games, right? We had all these mud type video games that were part of the, the BBS. And it, it grew quickly, uh, scary quickly, um, mm -hmm. like to the, to the point of where, you know, my, my mom and dad's phone line was tied up all the time and it, you know, it was just causing hell and, and causing trouble. But I, I got to where I had all these different phone numbers of all these different people who were dialing into my BBS. And I started calling and talking to people. Sounds so creepy now when I say it, I started calling people and being like, Hey, I'm the guy that runs the BBS that you just dialed into, you know, last night, really appreciate you uploading all this different stuff, you know, looking for other people like me. And, and it was just, you know, just scrambling to try to find people who could, who could just kind of hang. And I graduated high school in 1996. Um, the hack had been around for like two years, uh, had a bunch of, of members who I'm still close friends with today, by the way. Uh, and in 1996, when I graduated, I went to Central Wyoming College and our 
our organization at that point started really collecting uh, mass and speed. We had gotten the university to allow us to meet in the student center um, once a week. And we had like a formal meeting where everybody would come in and two hours long, right? We'd sit down and just shoot the shit and really talk about all the different types of things that we were learning and the different things that were going on. And, you know, here's how we were able to hack into this one thing. You know, when the internet first started, it was really easy <laughs> to compromise a lot of things because security wasn't even an afterthought at that point. It wasn't even a thought in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. I, I always tell people one of the biggest hacks I ever did in my life was, you know, when I was 14, that the, the, what was, you know, Earthlink at the time really became the AOL thing was because I learned that you could dial into a Livingston Portmaster, a bank of modems. And that it assigned an IP address to you. And that IP address that it assigned as the gateway was the Livingston Portmaster. Well, this device would allow you to connect without really a username or password. It'd just give you a shell. So we started being able to kick people off of the network, right? And mess with each other, mess with our friends, right? If you're trying to download something over a phone line, it takes two days to download something that would be the equivalent (laughs) of, you know, it's so tiny compared to now. But they'd be halfway through their down their download, and you could disconnect their session and make them have to restart their download from the beginning. It, it was, you know, some of the very first internet trolling. And uh, as as it kind of as it kind of grew mass, we we got some attention. I I started working with a lot of different companies in Wyoming, uh, helping with Bureau of Indian Affairs, several of the school districts out on the reservation, um, and we were you know, kind of doing the day-to-day computer repair for them and technology coordination. And I got invited to speak at uh, the Rocky Mountain Security Conference uh, that was being held at Central Wyoming College in Riverton, Wyoming back then, way long time ago. I think this would have been 1998-ish. And this was, uh, yeah, 1998. It was the first year I went to DEF CON as well, DEF CON 6. And I went and I spoke at this at this conference and we we gave a presentation about the type of work that we were doing and the research that we were doing and you know showed video of us breaking into these secure facilities and doing all this different work and uh, started getting hassled uh, by this guy in the audience that was with the FBI and he was talking about how you know I'm a punk criminal and how you know he knew my background he's familiar with who we are and he's been watching us and just really harassing us. And John Perry Barlow, uh, founder of the EFF, stood up in my defense and uh, kind of shut this guy down. And it was the first, I, I didn't know John before that. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever met him. Um, you know, I don't think EFF was even really rolling yet at that point, maybe. Uh, maybe it was just starting at that point. I can't remember. I have to go do my history. But uh John Perry Barlow stood up and he, and he defended me and my, my team at, at this event. And at the same time, we were kind of being investigated, going back to the purpose of why the FBI guy was there, for some of the hacking that we were doing, uh, extracurricular type activity during some of our meetings at the student center. And it turned out that we found out that one of our members had hacked a system out at Berkeley and it had drawn a lot of really negative attention and they didn't know who had done the hack and they were trying to pin me for it. And uh, when I sat down and we spoke to 
the investigators and everything else, I we really took the stance of we're not hackers. We didn't do this. We don't know what you're talking about. You know, we're starting a company, blah, 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 blah. And I was kind of freaking out about it all. Didn't know what to do. Figured I, I, I thought I was going to get arrested and, and get thrown in jail um, for having this group. You know, I, I wasn't even the one that had done that hack that time. And uh, it, it was great because what ended up happening is it, it kind of ended up being the fire that I needed to get going. And one of the members' uh, father was a attorney. And we went to him and we said, you know, listen, you know, we're, we're being investigated. The, we think the feds are coming after us. Uh, really haven't done anything wrong, but, you know, they're just harassing us now and they're watching us and this stuff is just going sideways. What do we do? And uh, my friend's father recommended that we incorporate and we create a business. And that is how Root Seller Security Team was born. I ended up hiring a couple of different people. Uh, we had the first, my, I, it doesn't sound like anything special now, but it was amazing at the time. My first employees at Root Seller were the kids who uh, were the first to ever get their MCSE plus eyes before graduating high school. Wow. With Microsoft and they worked for me uh, for three, four years. And we, we had a pretty amazing thing going, a good company running. Uh, and then uh, part of the fallout from my first divorce, we ended up dissolving the company uh, and kind of went our, our own ways. And when, when that all went down and we shut down Root Cellar, uh, I, I moved down to Denver and started work uh, with the um, first Echo Star Communications, <laughs> uh, helping old ladies replace their batteries in their remotes, uh, and then uh, ended up working for the United States Fish and Wildlife through the Department of Interior as part of the Norton Cobell litigation uh, and the large cybercrime push that occurred uh, due to congressional pressure at the time uh, following that attack. Uh, in fact, funny enough, that's where I ended up meeting quite a few people who later became or were my goon brothers uh, with mm -hmm. the DEFCON crowd. Wow. Well, I think it's really cool that a uh, guy that you didn't even know from ENF defended you. I mean, got up there and defended you for something. Uh, that, that I think that's really, really awesome. Uh, I definitely know myself about the computer security. I remember my first hack was posting up a website that if people visited it, they would show you the contents of your C drive. And <laughs> security wasn't even there. Like you said, it wasn't even a thing. My so. first hack that I, I, I'll call a true hack uh, mm -hmm. was on a Novell Netware network. And this was the hack that I did to my local school district. And I, I'd gotten curious because I was watching the teacher who taught like typing and taught like computers at the, at the school. Uh, I'd watched them enter a special command. And mm -hmm. this, this keystroke command that they did gave them access to all these teacher functions and administrative functions. And I could not figure out for the life of me because they would always do it super quick, right? Like they'd always hit the buttons really quick. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what it was. So I sat there one day just button mashing until I figured it out. Mm -hmm. And it, it was one of those things that when you went through there and you pushed that series of buttons, one of the commands that it popped up was that it gave you the ability to press control A, which would run a batch file off of a floppy disk. So mm -hmm. I, I started playing with it and I realized that it was just a batch process running in the back end. 
So I would hit control A and it would flash and because there's no drive in the computer, you know, literally they physically removed the drives. Uh, it would it would just return back to the menu. And I figured out that if you hit control C and broke free from the batch file, right, interrupted it in the middle of its operation, it would drop you to uh, the command prompt. And from the command prompt, I was able to switch my drives over to this drive that was the X drive. It was an administrative function drive. And one of the commands that was inside this, and again, I'm this is months of me playing building up to this. Uh, but one of the commands that I found was something called send. And send would allow you to send a message to anyone else that was connected to the network. You just type send and then the username that you were trying to send it to, and then the message, and you'd hit enter and it'd pop up on their screen, literally like a, a full-blown pop-up window. And my friend and I, you know, after I showed my friends this stuff, we, we kept sending each other nasty messages and, <laughs> and stupid shit back and forth to each other as you do when you're kids. But one day I was sitting there messing with a batch file and I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I used this command along with this drive access and I modified the startup file for all these network machines so that whenever they start up, it sends a command. That'd be pretty awesome, right? That'd be pretty neat. Mm -hmm. like I could just make it to where every time the computer pops up, it sends a message to somebody else and I could use it to figure out like who's online and all this other type of stuff. Well, I sent, I, I set up the script as I was kind of testing it out and I told it to send. And under the user, I said, everyone. And under the message, I said, I am God. And then hmm. I saved it and walked away. The problem is, is that these old Nobel network, netware networks are token ring networks, meaning that for those of you who are, are born in the information age, token ring networks back in the day, when you sent a, a, a packet, it would literally send along a daisy chain of computers. And it would go from computer to computer to computer to computer until it hits destination. Uh, really, really effective uh, for what it needed to do, quite inefficient. But with the, the change that I had made, when computers booted up the next day, every computer in the district started sending every computer in the district, I am God. So I effectively <laughs> created a distributed denial of service against my, my local school district and every machine that they booted would say this. So they had to go in and figure out what I had done, shut down all the machines, get them to all pick up the new batch files for booting up. Then they were all able to boot and come up again. Um, but it created a situation that brought down my school's network for a couple of days. And it was just a huge nightmare. And it really got me a lot of negative attention that I didn't need at the time. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of my first true real hack. Gotcha. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about the past here and uh, just to kind of talk for the last part of this interview here, what is, what about today? I mean, we, we talked about, about this stuff. What are some of the greatest security challenges that are out there today? And maybe some ways to address it, to think about it. What do you think is the biggest challenge right now? Oh, it depends upon how you're looking at it. Okay. Challenge can mean a lot of different things. When, when I think about it from our standpoint, right? Those of us who work in offensive security, I think one of the biggest challenges we face today is getting people to get it. And, and what I mean by get it is just understand why 
they're doing the things they're doing, why we give them the recommendations that we do, why they need to take this stuff seriously and make it a priority um, in order to protect themselves, their organization, their employees, whatever's out there. And I think that our industry has done a bit of a disservice. Um, you know, we, we have all these best, quote unquote, best practices that we follow, but most of them are based off of, you know, ideas and concepts from 20, 30 years ago. And they're not necessarily as applicable, if at all, uh, compared to how they once were. So I think that we need to think about how we approach security uniquely and differently um, in, in a way that addresses the challenges and the complexity of today's modern environments and the challenges that we face when protecting against nation states and malware threat teams and all kinds of other things where we just, you know, the concept of a hacker being somebody sitting there with a hoodie on, drinking jolt cola, eating pizza in their mom's basement. Yeah, it still exists. Not really the big threat that you need to worry about anymore, right? Now it's, it's coordinated team armies of people um, that are, are looking to gain footholds into environments and IP spaces in any way that they can. Uh, and they don't necessarily come in to just deface your website or to post a funny message on, on your board. Nowadays, you know, people all the time, they'll ask me, they're like, well, why would, why would somebody even take the time to hack me? And it's like, your bandwidth. You know, as having a high speed internet connection is one more ammo, one more piece of bullet for some of these, you know, for some of these people that are doing this, that it, that really enables them to be able to do things like these distributed attacks or to proxy traffic to where other people can't track trace what they're doing. So I, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that people need to do, and one of the biggest challenges we face is getting individual users to understand the responsibilities that they play and or the role that they play and the responsibilities that they have in, in properly securing the environments that they live in, that they exist in, that they work, you know, day to daily in. And it's and just realizing that it's not up to the IT folks or to your information security people. You know, that's that's their day-to-day -day job, but pretty starts with with the individual user. Well, I think it's part of where some of the things we try to do with the Denver OWASP group is to address those users to make sure that they feel empowered, that they can do something about this, so that it's that what we do is not magic. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, it's, well, you, you know uh, how I feel about that. Um, you work with me. So <laughs> it's, it's very, very clear how I feel about that. Uh, for those who don't work with me or haven't worked with me, um, I'm huge about value and, and making sure that we are clearly and concisely delivering the, the message in a way that makes it digestible and understandable. doesn't matter if you're an executive who is a Luddite and completely afraid of technology and never, ever lays a hand on anything other than your phone to do your day-to-day -day business. Or if you are, you know, some old graybeard Unix wizard sitting in the back of a data center somewhere with hundreds of thousands of images at your disposal, I, I think the focus really needs to be around making approaches and programs that are applicable to the individual environment and, and really making 
it to where it delivers the information and the detail that you need in order to address the problems that are truly introducing risk, right? Just because Nessa says something's high or critical doesn't mean that it's as important in your specific environment as something that may be flagged as like a medium ranked vulnerability. Uh, you know, we talk about this day in, day out, but I, I really think that as we mature as an organism or as we mature as an industry, one of the biggest things we need to focus on is understanding our clients, having better communication, learning to listen, um, you know, not just trying to sell somebody a pen test because once a year their compliance says that they need to do a pen test, but selling them a security program that makes a difference and creates change in in cult in their culture in their posture in their security program as a whole that's the stuff where i feel that you can really deliver and add value in the work that we do you know that is awesome luke and i think we're just about running out of time here uh again uh, as case anybody that doesn't know luke is the vice president of offensive security at blue bastion he can be found on linkedin I think that's one of the great ways to get a touch of him. And that's going to be Luke, and his last name is M-C-O-M-I-E. My name is Frank. I'm with the Denver OWASP Group. And if you are in the Denver area or you want to come to a meetup, we can be found at meetup.com forward slash Denver dash OWASP. And I do want to mention one thing. I want to give a thank you to both Rob and Alex. And we do have the RMISC. You had mentioned the RMISC conference earlier. We are going to actually try to have an in-person RMISC, a Rocky Mountain International, sorry, Information Security Conference in September of this year. I will be there with the student program. So thank you for your time, Luke. Any last and final words? No, I, I really appreciate the time and, and the opportunity to speak to your audience today, Frank. I, I guess the last thing I'd say is, you know, really, I can't stress enough when people are first getting into the industry, ask questions. Uh, don't be afraid to admit that you don't know something. You'll, you'll find that this industry, as, as scary as it can look from the outside, right? The movies sure try to make it look scary anyway. You'll find that people are, are here to work together, to learn from each other uh, and to make things better. So don't, don't hide in a corner, you know, go out, hit the conferences if you can do so safely, uh, build relationships, find that mentor, and, and really, you know, take the time to, to learn and do it right. Well, that's awesome, because I know one of the things we talked about during this last hour was mentoring. Um, and not only find a mentor, but be a mentor if you can. If you are looking for a mentor or to be a member, or sorry, or be a mentor, uh, there is the Slack channel, the Colorado Equal Security uh, Slack channel that's out there. And we also have one on the Denver OWASP group. We have mentoring opportunities or a mentoring channel. If you, know, if you have any spare cycles, put yourself out there, be a mentor for somebody, because I can guarantee you one thing, being a mentor, you'll also learn a lot of things about yourself, about other people. So thank you again, Luke. And again, thank I you. appreciate your time, sir. Yep. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.